1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. It's time for another Americans in Action episode. We're going to be talking U.S. roster, specifically concerns about the upcoming U.S. roster, concerns about the U.S. m as a whole. We're going to start off anxious and try to uh, reduce some of that anxiety. <laughs> With me today to hopefully reduce some of that anxiety are two gentlemen who are going to help me get to the bottom of two very important questions. This may sound like a joke, Joe Lowry, uh, but when you write out the position that Anthony Robinson plays how many words do you use like how many individual words do you use to write out his position i would use two words to write out left and back that's how i would do it taylor Rockwell. okay. but if you were to go with the more proper formal position is that uh, one word or two i would use one word to to write out fullback don't ask go. why
2: i don't get it why i don't know why i do what i do
1: and what about center back is that one word or two no see
2: taylor that's that's two words why okay. i don't know but it is <laughs>
1: Graham Ruthman, same question. Yeah, so for Virgil van Dyke's position, is that one word or two for you? Uh, two. All two, I think, is my answer. Yeah, Just keep it nice and wrong. simple. Spelled wrong, I would add. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because they do that weird RE thing that doesn't make any sense. But I wondered that because, yeah, in the group chat today, Graham wrote out fullback as two words. And whenever I write center back as one word, uh, Google tells me that that is not a word. So now I'm wondering if it is two distinct words that I've just been writing it wrong the whole time. But Joe, I'm happy to hear that you also write it wrong, at least one of them wrong, according right. to Graham.
2: Yeah, it's I've just been peer pressured and bullied by Google <laughs> and autocorrect into doing it that way. I was trying to think, wait, why do I actually do that? And I've done it for as long as I can remember. But But it is just the the peer pressure of seeing that red squiggle underneath my word. I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. So I got to fix it.
3: I get peer pressure from Google when we do our our notes before we record. Because when you guys have done your uh, notes before me, it'll pick up the regional dialect. (laughs) And then when I spell something that it views as incorrect, it'll say to me, do you want to spell it in the American way? And I go, no, I don't want to spell it in the American way. I want to spell it the right way. The Queen's English.
1: Does it ask you that if you if you like right click on it will it say did you want to write this as an American yes
3: hundred percent it says that (laughs) does it say howdy
2: y'all did you mean and then it just (laughs) it just keeps going yeah
3: it's the little the old Microsoft Word (laughs) paperclip you used to get but (laughs) with like a cowboy hat and uh, or just dressed as Ryan Bailey with a visor (laughs) and New Balance trainers and dad jeans
2: yeah yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the new trend, right? It's dad jeans, it's new mount sneakers, and it's an old soccer top. And you've got the look right there. So yeah, that's Ryan Bailey. And I'm glad to see Clippy has adopted it as well. I'm glad we're off to a fairly lighthearted start. Because as I said, we've got this roster coming up, we've got two friendlies at the beginning of June, then there's uh, two Nations League games. So we've got what four games in about a 13 day Period. So we're going to see a lot of the USMNT, which means hopefully we will get some answers to some questions. And that is the purpose of today's episode is to talk out some of those sort of burning issues as we see them with the US Men's National Team. We have each come up with five questions or five concerns that we want to talk about. We want to find some answers to. And either we'll talk out some answers here or we're hoping that Greg Berhalter will maybe bring in some players that might help us solve those concerns or give us some more depth or have another potential starter. Uh, that is about how
2: I would lay it out. Uh Joe, Graham, anything else to add on that one? I don't I don't think so. These are things right. that we're hoping are resolved in June, because as Greg Berhalter has said, this window, this June window with the four games and, and the camp leading up to it, is kind of the last tryout for a lot of these players because the September window is the only uh, international break after this one before the World Cup. That window is so close to November that he's he's likely not going to experiment a whole lot by then. I think Berhalter said something to the effect of, we'll likely have an unofficial roster picked by September, at least most of it. That's me heavily paraphrasing, but the idea is consistent with what he said. So this is largely the last chance for... Players to break in for, for really anybody on the fringes to try and make their case. Now the fringes got a little bit wider with Miles Robinson's injury over the weekend. We'll talk more about that later on, I'm sure. But this is kind of the last trial period. Like, and it's not even that big of a trial period. It is mostly refining at this point and it's certainly refining in September as well.
1: Graham, uh, I, I, since Joe has covered that one, what I will say is I feel like sort of a jerk already because this is a grass is greener situation. Here we are talking about concerns about the USMNT and how they'll look at Qatar. Uh, for you and Scotland, uh, would, would you prefer to be in this position, I'm assuming, of worrying yes. about roster options as opposed to w- whether or not you'll be there at all?
3: Yes, absolutely. I'd rather be in this position. I I talk through gritty teeth whenever we discuss your apparent lack of number nines, despite <laughs> having about ten of them. When we we haven't, uh, we've not even punched our ticket to Qatar yet. But hopefully, within the next month and the next next three weeks, mm-hmm. three to four weeks, um, we will find out whether we are going to be in that group with England and uh, and the USA. Here's my pledge. As
1: those games get closer, as we know more about the Scotland roster and, and everything else uh, as things develop, let's make sure to cover those uh, so that Graham has an outlet to talk about those those uh, <laughs> games, those potential frustrations. And then also let's make sure that Ryan Bailey is
3: not on those episodes so that it doesn't compound for you. Is that, is so, that a
1: pledge we can go with, Graham?
3: Yes, that, that right. sounds like a, a good deal. Perfect. Well, let's agree to that. <laughs> Perfect. Particularly right. the no Ryan Bailey part.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Ryan, if you're listening, uh, we love you, or at least uh, one of your co-hosts does. Uh, Joe, <laughs> uh, let's go to you for your first sort of uh, question or concern about the USMNT.
2: Okay, so I, I just mentioned it, so let's just get into it. The, yeah. the yeah. first question I have is... Who was going to start next to Walker Zimmerman? This hadn't been a question for quite some time, ever since the Gold Cup. I mean, in the past, I should say, the question was actually completely different. It was really who was going to start next to Miles Robinson after the Gold Cup. And and we thought it might be John Brooks, and he's been banished to the shadow realm. So it's not John Brooks. and, And all of a sudden, it was Walker Zimmerman midway through World Cup qualifying. And those two, Robinson and Zimmerman, had locked up those spots, as far as I was concerned. Maybe Robinson slightly less Then Zimmerman, after their relative performances in World Cup qualifying, but they were largely excellent, playing next to each other in the middle of that four-man back line. Miles Robinson is is out for quite some time. He ruptured his Achilles in the first half against the Chicago Fire over the weekend. He was clearly frustrated. He punched the field, was stretchered off. You could see that he already knew that something major had happened on his left leg down down by his ankle. And so he's going to be out likely past the World Cup. There is a, a slight slight chance that he could be back in time. I personally don't see any way that that happens, even if he recovers in time, which is very unlikely, but not impossible. Is Berhalter really going to toss him back in after not being involved in either June or the September international windows? It just doesn't feel likely. So the question now that's arisen for Berhalter, and and I think we're going to see at least partially addressed or we're going to see Berhalter attempt to address it in June, is who starts in the middle of that back line next to Walker Zimmerman, because it's not going to be Miles Robinson. And it's a it's a pretty big question and
1: is, I think, compounded by being one that we didn't think we would have to deal with, as you said, Joe. And I'm with you that Miles Robinson, given the severity of that injury, it's not really one you can rush back from. It's not one that even if he does come back, will have the fitness. So I think we can kind of operate under the assumption that it yeah. will not be Miles Robinson, which does make me sad and I'm sure makes him even yeah, more sad sucks. than me. Um, do you have thoughts on who you might like to be given an opportunity this summer,
2: Joe? Yeah, there's a, there's a few players that I think are are all kind of close together in my estimations, and I'm, I'd be interested in seeing any number of them. Chris Richards is certainly one of them. He's been out with Hoffenheim for, for a little while now, dealing with a leg injury. Baralter mentioned in a recent interview that he did that he should be back in time, or at least it's possible that he's back and, and involved in that June camp. So we could see Chris Richards. Uh, another couple of options I'm interested in, CCV is probably the biggest one. Graham, I'm, I've bought into the CCV propaganda. Yes. It's not really propaganda, though, and we've talked about this. There are questions about Cameron Carter-Vickers and his level, and there's, there's questions about, you know, is he getting consistent enough reps against good teams? And I think the answer to that is probably no. But he has raised his game. It's pretty clear to see that he's become a more well-rounded player playing under Postacoglu at Celtic. And that intrigues me. He has a little bit of that defensive mobility. Not the same level. He's not the same level of athlete as Miles Robinson. But so few center backs are. So you see he has some of that. But then he also has, I think, better distribution than Miles Robinson. So there could be... Uh, some benefit to putting someone like uh, CCV or even Chris Richards, who I think is better with the ball at a seat, but slightly less mobile involved in in getting those players in. Aaron Long, Eric Palmer Brown are options. Mark McKenzie, I, I guess, is an option. Matt Miazga, same I'm not as high on those two players at this point from what we've seen of them at club, uh, at the club level, and then with the national team as well. But CCV, Chris Richards, Eric Palmer Brown, Aaron Long's another one who could be in there. Mm-hmm. He just has recovered over the last few months and then towards the end of 2021 from this exact same injury that Miles Robinson suffered. So that's it's an interesting storyline there to see if Long can get all the way back in. He had a couple of appearances in the March window of World Cup qualifying. But it's it's kind of just a cluster. At this point in my mind, Graham, do you disagree? Do you think there's any one of those names that really stands out more
3: than the rest? S- slightly, yeah. I think if he can get fit and can prove he's fit over the next few months, I, th- I think for me, Richards is, pro- Richards is probably the front-runner just because he has held that role before. There's some existing chemistry with, with Zimmerman. I think they started together against El Salvador in, in-, in January. Um, and in terms of playing as that left-sided centre-back, I think that is Richards' best position. And one of the concerns I have with CCV Coming into this team as a first team starter, I definitely think he should be in the roster and I'm excited to see how he's going to fare in this camp because Berhalter's, Ber- Berhalter's already said he is going to get a call up to this, to this, uh, to the summer camp for the friendlies and, and the Nations League games. I am excited to see how he gets on, but for Celtic, he has played as, played as the right sided centre back. So really, In previous podcasts, I've said he would be better as a, as a depth option behind Zimmerman. I'm not saying he can't play as a left sided centre back, but he hasn't played a whole bunch there this season. I think Chris Richards for the USMNT has played there. So if he could, if he can get fit, I think Richards maybe gets the first shot. And that's, that's the thing about the situation that the USMNT is in now with this uh, centre-back pairing, they can't really mess around with a lot of different options, and I think if one player goes in for a game and has a good game alongside Zimmerman, that might be enough for them to nail down that position. I don't think Berhalter's going to run through four, five, six different options, maybe two or three, but if one of those players impresses early on, then I think the position is theirs, and if Chris Richards is fit, I think he might be the first in line to get that opportunity. Graham, to, to your final point there, I think that
1: is a pretty astute one about the like we have so many positions where we could experiment, we could try different things, but if you're experimenting everywhere, it makes it really hard to kind of find solid answers. And that's why one player that I had I had thought about as being a potential left center back, it might be too much for him is Tim Ream. And that might make some people roll their eyes. Some people might be frustrated by that one, but we're talking about a guy who started, I believe, 46 of 46 games for Fulham As they won the championship this season, they got promoted to the Premier League, uh, and that was a Fulham team that scored a ton of goals. They scored over 100 goals. Not bad. That's like some FIFA numbers. Uh, (laughs) But only 43 against third-best defense in the league, so it wasn't just that they were outscoring everybody, even though they were doing a lot of that. And this was with uh, Tim Reims starting as the left-sided center back in a 4-2-3-1. He's got that left foot, and if we started Ream and Zimmerman, we could pair them and no one would ever know who did what because they would look so similar. But that is one where maybe you're not sort of backing him that if he does have that one good game, maybe that isn't giving you the kind of results you need to know for sure that he's going to be the starter. So maybe that's one where it's a bit too much experimentation, but I wouldn't hate seeing Tim Reem called in. Uh, Graham, well, how would you feel if it was Tim Ream and, Matt and Walker Zimmerman, excuse me, in the middle?
3: So I, I asked a few weeks ago, you guys in the chat, what's the reason that Tim Ream hasn't been involved in the squad recently, or at least isn't involved in the discussion? And I, I think you guys kind of came back with a suggestion that just because maybe he's old and playing a number of games in a major tournament, keep in mind at a World Cup, you're playing... Yeah. What is it? Every four days you're playing a game, and maybe yeah. maybe for a guy of of Tim Ream's age, that might be a bit much. But then I would, as as devil's advocate, I'd put forward the argument that well, in the championship, how many games do they play in a season in the English Championship? It's, it's 8, over 000. forty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and Tim Ream seems to have handled that. So I think it comes down to what does Berhalter want from what does he look for in the profile of his squad is has he gone young with the selection because he just thinks these are the, these are the best players that he has available because it is a very young squad one of the the youngest teams and squads that will be at the world cup this year is that just because those are the best players that he thinks are available or is it because he is making a conscious effort to set the US up for future cycles and future tournaments, in which case maybe he looks beyond Tim Ream and says, look, you are a good enough player to play in this team, but this selection that I'm making for this World Cup, which everything is obviously geared to with this camp that we're having, that's that's the guiding light is the World Cup. Maybe he says to Reem, you know, I'm looking a little bit further beyond this World Cup. I'm wanting players who are gaining tour- tournament experience this November, not just to get us as far and as possible in this tournament, but to get us really far in 2026 20, as well. And then obviously Reem isn't really going to be a, a factor for 26. No, that's that's a that's a fair point,
1: and I and I do think to your broader question. My sort of assumption has been that he started out with the kind of the core group that he had from MLS because he had that January camp. Then he brings in the veteran players to kind of fill out the ranks. Then he's got his his group, his core group. But then you sort of see who can do what well and who can do what better. And it does feel like it's been increasingly young players coming in and pushing out older players or more veteran players. And I do think that's probably because those veteran players are sort of established in what they do and how they want to play. And so I I think maybe there's an eye towards the future. And it is like we want to set ourselves up for a multi-cycle situation. But I also think probably Berhalter's looking at the talent available and seeing maybe more depth, more variety to the skill set of younger players. So maybe that means no Tim Ream, but I wouldn't hate him as a depth option. Joe, the other center back who we haven't talked a lot about of late, would be John Brooks. And that's one that I think a lot of people remain confused about, uh, myself very much included. And I think part of that is because of the way it's been discussed. as like, well, you know, he was injured, and then he wasn't quite in the right situation, and it's all been very vague. And I think it will continue to be, do you have an issue if we don't have John Brooks called into some of these games? Because if we're going to reset, if he is going to be given this opportunity after qualifying that Berhalter had talked about, This would be that time, but I'm still not sure we will. And I'm basically trying to prepare myself for that. Like, okay, so John Brooks is officially out without us really understanding why.
2: Yeah, I think he's I think he's done under Greg Berhalter. I mean, Berhalter talked about recently in an interview how he'd rather see someone like CCV over someone like John Brooks because he already knows what John Brooks can do. That just sounds like a way that I would spin, yeah, I'm not calling up John Brooks, so I'm going to look at somebody else instead. He's gone, it just, yeah. yeah. it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And I I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe there's reasons for it, but I don't think there's a ton of on-field reasons for it. I, I guess you can loop Tim Raymond and John Brooks in together in that they're both – not very mobile defensively. They can defend in the air. They can defend in tight spaces. But Brooks is is not the best when you have uh, an opposing attacker driving right at him and he's back on his heels. He's a little clumsy in those situations. He's not a perfect player. And, and no one is trying to say that he is. Everybody knows that there's weaknesses to John Brooks's game, just like with Tim Ream but not bringing someone like John Brooks with the passing ability that he has in a tournament where you might end up playing against teams or you might be in situations late in games where you could use a really strong passer and a dominant aerial threat as well. Let's not forget that that's a part of John Brooks' game. So there has to be something else going on here. We don't know what it is that hasn't changed. I mean, Borelter hasn't made any moves to bring John Brooks in for a little while now. I would be very surprised if that changed between now and November.
3: I, I read a report. From France today, that uh, Marcelo—not the Marcelo, but another Marcelo—got dropped from the Leon first team because this. he was he was farting in the dressing room and la- repeatedly and <laughs> laughing about it. Maybe that's what happened to John Brooks. That's <laughs> the only explanation. <laughs> breaking news from Graham Ruffin.
1: Uh, breaking wind from Graham Ruffin. Uh, J- uh. Joe, so, so if you were gonna maybe see a couple center backs brought into this roster, I would assume we'll see roughly four. Uh, would you be okay with it being Zimmerman? Richards, CCV, and Aaron Long? Or would you like a little more experimentation there?
2: Yeah, I'm fine with that. I actually do think we'll see more than four. It sounds like Burlther's toying with uh, using the three at the back shape, at least in mm. camp, if not in any of these games, but we could see it in a couple of these games as well in June. So I would expect maybe five center backs. It could even be up to six if James Sands is involved in this roster and, and he can kind of do both the midfield job and the center back job. So I would say Zimmerman, CCV, Richards, Palmer Brown and Aaron Long would probably be my five. And then maybe Sands gets in there. I kind of doubt it, though.
1: All right. So that's uh, the center back question discussed. I won't say resolved. Graham, what about you? What's what's a burning question you've got about the
3: USMNT? So my concern regards the first choice goalkeeper. And that isn't a particularly new concern because this discussion has been around for a while. But to be honest, I didn't feel it was that much of a pressing issue until fairly recently. Of course, as I said, there's been a lot of discussion about the merits of Turner and Stefan, but both both enough were good enough to start for the USMNT. At least that was my view until fairly recently. I guess I haven't really changed my opinion on Turner, but the problem for him is game time. He's not played much these last few months due to injury, and then he's going to Arsenal this summer where he's, he's not going to be first choice if, if Baird Leno stays around he might not even be second choice at Arsenal maybe he's not even getting cup games then you have Zach Stefan, and you could argue that um, <laughs> lack of game time hasn't been an issue for Stefan in, in Berhalter's eyes given that he's been second choice at City for years um, but I would I would say that his recent performances for club and country suggest it actually is a problem he was very shaky for the USMNT in the last window and then there was the huge mistake for City in the FA Cup semi-final against Liverpool and if, if you're looking beyond Stefan and Turner, can you find a reliable goalkeeper who is playing regularly and who, and who would make it worthwhile to make that change at this time? Because obviously it's, there's no point in changing now. And I think this probably is the last time that you could make a change. I agree with Joe. Once you get to that September window, it's too late. You probably don't want to be changing anything fundamental at that time. So now is probably the time to, if you're going to do it, look at different options. Um, Stephen Fry has been mentioned. Yes, sir. I can actually see the merit in that. In in some respect, he's been brilliant for... Well, he's been brilliant for the Sounders for a number of years. He was brilliant for the Sounders in the, the Concave Champions League. He's experienced, knows the American game. I don't know if that counts for much, but he's not an unfamiliar name to, to fans. Um, there are some drawbacks with Stefan Fry. You know, the Sounders don't really play out from the back that much. And then there's, there, there's his, his age, similar with Tim Ream. It depends what, what Berhalter's wanting to do with that squad. Maybe you go in a completely different direction, in the opposite direction, in fact, and you go and get Gagas If he's as good as people seem to think he is, and if there 's a chance he 's going to Poland, do you get him in now and just and just uh, and just trust that he 's going to he 's going to handle it I think he 's got a pretty decent a strong character he seems like he 's handling the the pressure in MLs I know the World Cup is a massive massive step up, but keep in mind he 's seventeen years old and he seems to have taken that in his stride. What I will say about making changes with goalkeepers and maybe i 'm showing some ignorance here, please correct me if I am but I do think it's possible to make quicker changes in goal than in other, any other position on the pitch. Obviously, that's a sweeping generalisation. It's not the same for every team and every goalkeepers uh, goalkeeper. But I do think goalkeepers are slightly more plug-and-play because of their un- the uniqueness of their... Position You look at Alisson for Liverpool, who comes in and almost immediately is perfect for that team. Ederson for City, as I say, they were immediately in that team and playing well. And in in other positions, you have to worry about balance and chemistry. And there is a bit of that with with goalkeeper. But I would say largely that comes down to communication over anything tactical. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Berhalter could make a goalkeeping change this close to the World Cup. And it works out. But I do think this June camp is probably the last chance for him to do that. I, Graham,
2: I completely agree. I think this is kind of put up or, or shut up time. And, and Brawlther obviously can do whatever he wants, but I think the evidence is pretty clear. And I've, I've been on this train for a while. That there should be a shake-up in the goalkeeping pecking order, the goalkeeper pecking order. There's some pecking order in goal. <laughs> there's an order, there's pecking involved. Yeah, but that's all the matters, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the important stuff. I, I think Zach Steffen has had too many errors in World Cup qualifying and even before World Cup qualifying to start for this team at the World Cup. I think if he's starting, and I have nothing against Zach Steffen, I think he's a, a fine goalkeeper and I think he seems like a, a good dude. But I think you're hamstrunging hamstringing, hamstrunged. I think you've you've limited your team if you're using Zach Steffen. <laughs> you've hamstrung Yes. What the See, Taylor, is. you're coming in so clutch with a corrections I'm trying, I'm trying. today. Thank you. I think you're making your life harder as a team if Zach Steffen is starting in goal over someone like Matt Turner. Maybe over even someone like Ethan Horvath. Uh, maybe there's other names involved as well. I, I don't have as much concern or... I'm not as interested in maybe who that third goalkeeper is. It does seem like Stefan and Turner are both going to be there barring any sort of injury. But I think this June window is going to be a real, a really telling window for the national team as far as who's getting those minutes, who who's playing in these games. Is it split? Does Beralter see this as a, a time to maybe give both goalkeepers, Turner and Stefan, some minutes? What's that going to look like? I don't know, but I do think something needs to change. The way I've understood the goalkeeper position under Berhalter, it's basically been that
1: though we, like media pundits fans, have conversations about who should be the starter, is it Turner, is Stefan challenging, or is Stefan the starter, I, I think that it has been Stefan as the starter yeah. for Greg Berhalter whenever he was healthy. And I, I think that that is probably still the case. But Joe, I was reading an article at a uh, website, it was called Backheeled. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar. Yeah, I've, heard, uh, I've heard of it. It was written by Adam Bells I think was the name. Hmm. Uh and it was about <laughs> uh sort of the issues with uh it was the USMNT's to-do list which is a great read people should check that out. But one of the points he made was about goal or goalkeeper and it was about expected goals uh, or goals prevented excuse me. Joe you're going to have to kind of do some some uh, I guess like fact support here <laughs> yeah. uh, to to clean up if I get things wrong. So basically assignment.
3: Yeah. Well, what was I'm that, with Graham? Some refinement. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: probably so, as uh, the bull in the china shop tries to explain things, and then Joe comes through and repairs the china. Uh, but Stefan was, I believe, 12th out of 13 goalkeepers in World Cup qualifying in terms of goals prevented. My understanding of that is that if you take expected goals conceded minus actual goals conceded, you get goals prevented. A positive number for that would be good. A negative number, not so good. Kaylor Navas, the best goalkeeper in CONCACAF uh, with that number, goals prevented. Zach Steffen was the second worst, negative 1.46. Matt Turner was sixth, just ahead of Guillermo Ochoa. So there's that. But that, I think, to my mind, Joe... Explains the idea that you have long had of maybe Zach Stefan isn't the best shot stopper and isn't going to be that kind of clutch shot stopper if we come up against a team like we did against Belgium uh, the last time we were at a World Cup. Uh, First off, have I explained goals prevented somewhat accurately? And second off, does that sort of uh, support your idea that Stefan might not be the shot stopper we might require?
2: Yes, and yes, Taylor. I think Sweet. you you did a great job walking folks through. There's a, a few different ways, depending on where the data is coming from, of how those stats are labeled. Uh, StatsBomb calls it post shot expected goals, and and you can compare those and goals to figure out okay, relatively, you can get a relatively good idea of how good of a shot stopper different goalkeepers are. That was was True Media's basic uh, basic uh, representation of that same idea of, of shot stopping and quantifying that. It shows that, yeah, Stefan was a, a pretty poor shot stopper in World Cup qualifying. And Turner wasn't perfect, right? Let's think back to that Canada game in Hamilton, Ontario. He gets beat by, I think, Kyle Laren early on in that game and the U.S. goes yeah. down 1-0. And he doesn't get his foot, he doesn't get his footing right, doesn't get his footwork right, and he doesn't do well on that shot, and Canada goes 1-0 up. Matt Turner is not perfect, but I think we have a large enough sample size, or at least we're close to it, that we can say, yeah, Turner and, and Stefan are both flawed, but if you're trying to play the odds, and you should be because that's how this whole game works, then Turner is a better option, and he's going to help you win more games and help you keep more balls out of the back of the net than Zach Stefan. So yeah, that, that table, which is from Paul Carr, um, that that Bell cited in his article, I think is a really good representation of that.
1: And so, Graham, that pulls me back to the idea that maybe there should be a little bit of experimentation if this is the kind of final time to do that. And I would really like to see Stefan Fry uh, get given a chance. I think he was rock solid for the Sounders in that CONCACAF Champions League final over both legs, cemented in my mind that he's a big game performer. Uh, who rises somewhat literally to the occasion? Uh, and if he had, if that penalty save had not been overturned, it really would have gone all the way towards putting it over the top. Uh, I, Joe, I don't really know much about Stefan's or Stefan Fry's uh, distribution. That's weird to have Stefan and Stefan Fry. Um, but I think it's worth bringing somebody who might be that sort of veteran presence that is sometimes needed to just be a calm figure in goal. If you're not quite certain of how you're lining up or if the if you feel sort of outgunned, then I can see an argument for having somebody in there who is just kind of reliable and consistent. So Graham, if you were uh picking like one player to come in and maybe get a game that we haven't seen previously, would it be uh would it be Fry or would it be Slonina?
3: Oh, that's tricky. Um I would go with Fry, I think, because I think there's enough evidence that Slanina's probably going to pick the USA. That seems, that seems like the kiss of death, but uh <laughs> it feels like he's probably going to pick the US over, over Poland, I think, to play for, and then you don't have to worry about cap tying him. I know the friendlies don't cap tie him anyway, but Fry, yeah, I, I just feel like, there could be a really big upside to bringing in an experienced head at the back for the US, particularly if we're talking about unsettling that central defensive partnership as well, um, where a bit of experience might might be really useful. And I think it's now or never for Stephen Fry. He's he's thirty six. He is would you say that he's at the peak of his powers? He's certainly close to the peak of his powers. He's you know there's not going to be many more opportunities. He's been called into a camp I think once before in twenty seventeen. He's never he's never had a Never had a a cap. So yeah, I feel like there could be significant upside to getting Stephen Fry in, giving him a game. I think that a lot of the, assuming he doesn't make a, a howler or a big mistake in that game, I think a lot of the assessment will be one that maybe we can't make. It will it will depend a lot on how he fits into the group, whether he comes in as a as a natural figure and and instantly kind of works well within that group, which we know that Berhalter values a lot, given that we've all kind of hmm. uh, detected that John Brooks isn't out of the squad because of his. Uh, Footballing ability, so if he comes in and is a good member of that squad, then yeah, I think I think give him a shot. There
1: we are. All right. Well, we've got two concerns down. We're we're pretty far into the show at this point, so we'll take a break. We'll come back and try to get through a few more concerns in just a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Welcome back. Uh, we've heard one concern from Joe, one concern from Graham. Uh, I'll stay on the fence for now, Joe. Let's go back to you. What What else are you worried about? What else would you like to see experimented with, resolved this summer, uh, whatever it may be?
2: The next one for me is the question of where is the central midfield depth coming from? And and we're seeing now, and we saw it towards the end of World Cup qualifying, that that is a relevant question and a relevant concern. Because the U.S.'s midfielders, and the key ones especially in Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, can't stay healthy. Weston McKenney's is still out with an injury, although it sounds like he could be involved in June with the U.S., which is great news. But those players are are really injury-prone. And as we've seen with Miles Robinson, an injury can happen, and it can happen to any one of these guys, and they could end up missing time either all of the World Cup or, or just time at the World Cup. So Adams and McKenney are injury-prone. Moose has missed some time as well. Outside of those three players, I think there's there's a couple of names that are basically locked in. Calan Acosta is locked in on that World Cup roster. I don't think there's any way that he's he's not going to Qatar barring injury. Luca De La Torre. I know that moved pretty fast as a storyline, but I think when you look at the lack of options and those number eight spots behind Musa and McKenny, and and I guess Acosta if he is moonlighting there, De La Torre's got to be at the top of that depth list. So I, I do think he will likely end up in Qatar as well. Beyond those players, though, fellas, where's where's the depth? Is there a single player? Outside of those names, I just mentioned Adams Acosta at the six, most likely, and then Musa McKenney and De La Torre at the eights. I don't think we're confident that, that there's any names etched into this roster outside of those players. Gio Reyna could do the job at the eight, but every time it feels like we're about to see him there, he gets hurt and doesn't, doesn't have uh, enough miles or minutes ready to go on his legs that he can actually come in and play. So maybe Gio Reyna is that guy and we don't see a ton of other options in midfield for the U.S. and Qatar. But with the expanded roster, and Beralter said multiple times that he expects it to be 26, not 23, with that 26-man roster, it feels like there will be at least one, if not two more central midfielders that are in Qatar that we just don't know yet. So maybe that's Georgi Mihailovic. I don't know if Beralter sees him as an eight or as a maybe a left-sided winger. We don't know the answer to that. I'd like to see him in June. Maybe that's Pax Zampomikul, who's been... Good fine to good with Dallas, I would say he 's been fine to good with FC Dallas and Nico Estevez, but he has a, a ton of a ton of uh, work in his legs. He goes and, and buzzes around the field he 's a really energetic guy that certainly fits the model of what Barltar uh, wants from his team and, and how he wants his midfielders to play so maybe it 's those two guys that come in and get looks along with De la Torre and they get some more run, and Musa does too, and McKenney maybe gets a game, two games as he 's coming back from injury. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I think it's time to see some names in those spots, at least brought into camp. Even if they don't play a ton, I think it's important that they come into camp so the broader can evaluate them up close and get a better understanding of how they play and how they could potentially fill out this depth chart.
3: Has has there been any chat about, um, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend this is a player that I've watched a lot or a player that I'd even really heard of before I started to do my research, but Alan Sonora was a player that kept on coming up in my research He's, he's 23, is playing for Independiente in South America, and he's got three goals in his last five games. Um, hasn't been recognized, American born, hasn't been recognized at any youth level for America, and, uh, obviously hasn't had a senior cap, and is a midfield playmaker, which seems like he's playing at pr- a pretty high level for someone that generally doesn't seem to be in the discussion, but there is an underlying Twitter discussion about this guy that is interesting to me. Yeah, I haven't seen much about Sonora.
2: I haven't watched a ton of his footage either, just because he hasn't been in the picture. But Graham, I think he's another one who could fit in this group of of maybes, right? Maybe it's Georgie, maybe it's Pomical, maybe it's a wild card coming from either South America or, or someone else coming from MLS or Europe. There's just a big old question mark for me after the first few players. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's really any of the, the guys that we mentioned, maybe even a couple that we haven't. I'm still confused
1: why Alan Signora has never gotten any looks at any level because his brother has, has played for the U-17s and the U-20s. Uh, so you would assume that they would be on the radar. They would have some connections there. Uh Maybe that's one we'll have to watch a bit more footage on uh, Graham and see if we think he should be in there or if he's mm-hmm. not in there, why he might not be in there. Are there other central midfield options, Graham, that you
3: think we could see or would like to see? I I think uh Joe kind have of pretty much covered on mm-hmm. Pax and I, I mean this whole segment was just so can uh put forward Pax and course, as a solution exactly. to all the USA's problems. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh Mahalovich, Pax and Pomico, uh you know, we've already seen Rodan in squads and so on Eric Eric Williamson. Yeah, I I think there are there are names, it's just maybe about solidifying some yeah. of those names as the depth options behind the the MMA midfield unit. Graham, I know, Or sorry, Joe,
1: I know you didn't have him on your list. Uh, do you think Christian Roldan is still on Greg Burhalter's list, if
2: not a lock, then close to it? I, I don't think he's a lock or close to a lock, but okay. I do think he's on the list. I think ah. there's every chance that he's involved in June. I don't know if that will be as a central midfielder or as a, as a wider player. I, I guess it's not that much wider, but maybe in the half spaces on either the right side or the left side. But I do think he's someone that Berhalter clearly knows and trusts, and I think there's a chance we see him in June.
1: Uh, If we don't have a ton more about central midfield depth, because I I don't, but I do think, Joe, that you're right to kind of point that one out. And we've long been concerned about what happens if Tyler Adams is injured or if he gets a yellow card or gets suspended. How do we kind of make up for that one? And I think you're right that with only kind of five lockdown central midfielders, there's always a chance someone's getting hurt or someone's going to miss a game and then... That depth kind of keeps plummeting, but we're talking about depth there, and Graham, it feels like that's a similar conversation we could have about fullback, potentially. Fullback yeah. spelled
3: with two words, mind you, of course. <laughs> yeah, two word, two words for fullback. No, absolutely. I, I think in terms of the, the first-team positions, um, I don't think fullback area is an area uh, 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 a specific area of much concern for the U.S., yeah. given that Dest and, and, and Jedi Robinson are probably going to be the 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 first picks in those positions, and I think of all the things Berhalter has to look at in this camp, and the, and in the months leading up to, the, to to Qatar, this is probably one of the the ones I'd be least concerned about. But it is something that he's going to have to solidify in his squad before the World Cup. Because beyond Destin Robinson, it's all a little bit fluid with some of the, the options. So just to run through some of those options, Reggie Canning, Canning, sorry, Shaq Moore, DeAndre Yedlin, Joe Scally, Sam Vines, Justin Che, Christian Pulisic. Just kidding. I'm, am I kidding <laughs> about Pulisic? Who can tell anymore? But seriously, <laughs> the U.S. has uh, some serious depth in the fullback areas. I don't think it's necessarily a problem. It's probably a good problem to have, actually. But um, it would be quite helpful if Berhalter was able to establish some order in the same way that I I think he's established some order in other areas of the pitch where you know that, okay, this player is not available, this player's got a suspension or this player's got an injury, this player is coming in as as their replacement and I just don't think there is that in the fullback positions. Maybe this is the right time to finally integrate Joe Scally. I think obviously we have spoken about him previously and maybe some of the hype around him is slightly over the top, but I think it's fair to say there is, there is a good player there with a lot of potential. In the past, he hasn't been called into the camps because he hasn't had that integration moment and Shaq Moore comes in for the last window because he'd played in, in the Gold Cup and Scally had, hadn't had that experience before. And I do accept that Berhalter maybe didn't want to bring him in when the pressure was on in qualifying. I think that's pretty reasonable. But now the pressure is off and you've got these Nations League games and these friendlies. So maybe this is the the, the perfect time to bring him in and you maybe establish him as one of the depth depth options in the fullback areas.
1: Joe, I think previously when we talked about fullback depth, we had it as as Graham said, it's Jedi on the left, it's Virginia Dest on the right. If we're looking at right-sided depth. It's some combination of DeAndre Yedlin and Reggie Cannon and then, yeah, wandering in the wilderness is Joe Scali, uh and other options there. Uh, how has or what have you seen of DeAndre Yedlin this season with Miami? And do you feel like he is cementing his case to be in the squad or is he undermining his own case to be in the squad going forward?
2: I don't think he's undermining it. Okay. Now, Miami are not a good team. They've gotten a little better after the the really poor start they had this season under Phil Neville. And Yedlin is is one of the better players on that team, I would say. He's aggressive moving down that right side. And I think overall he's been a, a positive force for this Miami team. He really is one of their key attacking options, and he really gets up and down that right side, which is exactly what Brother wants to see from his fullbacks. I, I think even if Yedlin was having a bad season, which he's not, to be clear. He'd still be in Qatar. His his mixture of experience and his performances in some big games. I don't think he was great in the March window, but he he got a lot of minutes in that in that stretch of games. I think his time under Berhalter, mixed with his status as one of the veteran leaders of this group, means that he will absolutely be in Qatar. So we would
1: assume Yedlin there, maybe Reggie Cannon is there, Serginho Dest definitely there, so too Jedi. What about that left side, Joe, when it comes to the depth? We've talked about Sam Vines, we've talked about George Bellow, uh, and and it feels like maybe we're just going to have to continue to see both of them uh for club uh, next season, but also for country if they both get opportunities, just to see who can kind of rise up the ranks a little bit, because right now it feels like it's Jedi Robinson and then a pretty sizable gap,
2: and then maybe George Bellow? Yeah, maybe. And this is one of those reasons why I'm really excited about the June camp is because we don't have a lot of clarity about that left back spot after Jedi Robinson. It could be any one of the names we've mentioned. It could be somebody we haven't mentioned yet. Maybe Kevin Paredes gets a look that would really surprise me, but maybe he comes on strong to start the next season with Wolfsburg. And he is maybe one, if if not the only one, one or one of the few players who's involved in September that hasn't really gotten much of a run with the U.S. in the past at 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 the senior level. So there's just a big old question mark around this left back spot. And for the U.S., I kind of don't think it's going to matter a whole lot. Barring injury, Jedi Robinson's probably going to play every single minute at the World Cup because that's just what he does. Hmm. But at the same time, he seems to be dealing with a little bit of a knee injury right now, if if reports are to be believed. doesn't sound like anything major, but there's a chance that somebody does need to step up, and that could be any number of different names.
3: I think maybe Berhalter views, and we've discussed this before, but I think he probably views Dest actually as the, yeah. as the depth option on the left, which adds a different dynamic to this discussion because then are you bringing two depth option right backs with that in mind that Dest, if, if something happens to, to Jedi Robinson and look, it's a World Cup, things can happen. He could, he can get suspended. He can pick up an injury. Then Dest moves over to the left and it's actually the right back position that, that, that shifts up and changes and one of those depth option comes in.
1: All right, let's say, what, what would have this happen? Okay, let's say it's Jedi Robinson gets hurt, and then we do have Dest sliding over to left back. Graham, does that make you more comfortable than, like, basically, is it Dest at left back and then, say, DeAndre Yedlin starting at right right back? Are you more yeah. comfortable with that, or are you more comfortable with Dest staying at right back and, question mark, playing left back, be it George Bello, uh, or Sam Vines or somebody else? I, well, I feel like I'm answering it yeah. by saying I don't know who it would be. Yeah, basically. exactly. I was literally <laughs> going to say, I think you've answered your own question there by saying question mark.
3: Yes, that makes me much more comfortable <laughs> with Yedlin at right back and, and Dest at left back. So then this is basically
1: maybe this is one of those positions where instead of seeing a bunch of new faces, it's more about getting the reps and seeing how we can do it. If it is maybe Jedi comes off at halftime in, in a friendly and then Dest goes to left back. How do we do with that sort of, that switch mid game? Maybe that's where it's more about experimentation than new faces.
3: Yeah. A lot of this, a lot of this camp, I, the term I would use is stress testing. So Hmm. kind of envisaging certain scenarios, like you've just gamed out there, you know, Jedi Robinson picks up an injury. He has to come off. Okay. We're going to have to do this now. We're going to have to change the shape of our, our midfield unit. We know we we can't play a three. Let's play a, a double pivot in there. Just kind of gaming out certain scenarios that could happen in a world cup. Major tournaments are weird. Major tournaments are really weird in that it's it's very rare that you go into any game in a major tournament with your first choice team and everything's going to work perfectly and everything's going to go to plan. Things are going to go wrong either in the build up or in the game and you're going to have to react. And the thing about World Cup, as I've said already in this show, you don't have much time to react. You know, games are four days apart, so there's not much recovery time. So I, I think it's it would be wise for Berhalter to kind of envisage some of those scenarios and just experiment in in that way in this camp. I like the idea of this being stress testing and figuring some things out.
1: I also feel like the the problem with these episodes as we do them is that we end up talking about all the little, like, minor problems and and little issues that could pop up. And I get increasingly paranoid because I was about to (laughs) ask you both, like, all right, let's talk about what's the thing that we're most confident about? But I think because we're all in the, like, nervous, concerned, what are the issues mindset, I might have struggled to say a thing that I'm confident about and then... That takes us down an entirely different path. Uh, so let's just avoid, like, I don't think there's any major issues that we haven't yet talked about. Oh, wait, we haven't discussed number nines yet. That's always fun. Joe, is that where we should head next? Or, or are there other uh, potential issues that you wanted to talk out first?
2: Let's do the nines. Uh, okay. I will I will provide just a, a momentary bit of positivity here. We are nitpicking, right? That's, what, Joe, so
1: let's do this. Give us some positivity. We'll take
2: one more break. Okay. Then we'll come back and- Beautiful. Uh, Talk some number nine. Beautiful. Positivity and sponsors. That's the two things that people love, love most. <laughs> uh, we are, we're nitpicking here. This whole episode is about nitpicking. But there's a lot to like about this national team, too. Defensively, really, really strong. I think that's something that they're going to rely on heavily in the World Cup. Now, there is nuance to that. And, and certainly that whole defensive approach could be improved with some goalkeeper tweaks. But we've already talked about that stuff, right? There are a lot of really exciting things about this group that the youngest team to qualify for the World Cup, the average age of, of players and minutes in World Cup qualifying certainly speaks to that. And that is true. That's That's been that's been proven through the data. This is a really exciting team. So I think there's a lot to be excited about, a lot of talent. Hopefully that talent is on the field together and they're all healthy. We don't know exactly what that'll look like, but the sky is certainly not falling. And none of these issues should should lead to us saying that the sky is falling,
1: Taylor. The sky is not falling. That's an optimistic note. Joe, I also appreciate you almost making me spit out my tea because I laugh so hard at your joke. (laughs) Let's take that break to hear from, from today's sponsors, and then we'll be back to talk number nines.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Welcome back. When last we left you, Joe was making me almost spit out my tea. Joe, I'm, I'm going to refrain from drinking as we talk about number nines, although... There's a potential that this topic of conversation will have me wanting to drink something slightly harder. Uh, Joe, take us through the number nine situation, if you would. Is there any rule quick? Is, real brief. Yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah. Is
2: there any rule that says the TSS host has to be drinking tea at all times? Because I'm guessing Ryan's downing it every other, you know, every other show that he's doing <laughs> one glass in each hand. And Taylor, now you're drinking tea at, at this, some sort of tea conspiracy. Are I'm hosting not, later this week. I will not be drinking tea.
1: I feel like you have not read your contract. It's in there news. and I'm a little bit concerned now that your lack of tea consumption is is hurting the show.
2: I'm a, I'm an American. I like I like american beverages yeah you couldn't even think of one could you no, you couldn't even couldn't. think of one <laughs> um anyway let's let's talk gatorade. about something i do know more about yeah gatorade. Gatorade. just gatorade that is like the most american beverage and the fact that it's so linked to college athletics is just yeah. beyond fitting anyway let's talk about something i know more about than, than the florida gators or gatorade or, or tea it's who's going to be getting looks at the nine now i don't actually know the answer to that question but i do know it's a question and i should get a point for that this is still a question mark around this team. It has been for who knows how long. We've talked about it a lot. And so I'm not going to go into a ton of depth here other we'll than We'll Never to say, escape
3: this cycle. <laughs> yeah. This is, this yeah. is our hell.
2: Yes. This <laughs> is, this is it. This and goalkeeper really are, are brutal. We've already learned from Beralter that Haji Wright is coming in, or at least it, it sounds like that's absolutely going to be the case. He's, he's doing well in Turkey right now. We've talked about him on the show. I think he's worth a look. It sounds like there might be someone else coming in by the name of Malik Tillman was a dual national that Bralter referenced and, and we had to connect the dots a little bit there and some folks on Twitter were doing the same. But Malik Tillman's a, a German American dual national. He's a forward. He sounds like that. He sounds like he could be getting a look in June. Ricardo Pepe probably not coming in based on Bralter's comments about giving him a little bit of a mental break and just a break from the grind that he's been on going from MLS, playing a bunch of World Cup qualifying games, moving over to Germany and really starting a, a whole new life there in a completely different country. I do think that's understandable, especially because Pepe hasn't been doing all that well at Oxbridge, So it's not like he's breaking down Baralther's door to get involved. So more questions about this, this group than maybe ever before. But I do like that it sounds like we're seeing some different options get in, get into this group. Maybe someone like Brendan Vasquez could get involved as well. I would like to see him. Although if Wright and Tillman are, are both going to be involved, it sounds like there might not be room for a whole bunch of other nines. I'd expect Jesus Ferreira would be involved as long as he's, he's healthy coming off of some games with Dallas. I, I expect he'll be involved in this group as well. But we're going to see different players at the nine, and I do appreciate that because it seems like Barrltar is certainly trying to answer this question of who's going to be this team's number nine
3: i'm I'm interested and excited to see what hadji Wright does because he he seems to have risen quite late in this in this discussion i I think if you are scoring goals as he is in Turkey, then you automatically kind of become part of this discussion as Jordan Pfock has done in, in Switzerland with his goal scoring record. And we looked at, we looked at Wright's strengths and weaknesses as a player a few weeks ago, and, and there's certainly plenty to like there. I like how effective he is at hold up play. He is asked to do that a lot at club level. That could be quite useful for the USMNT. He might not have a a lightning turn of pace, but there's a lot of intent to his play. Once you get into the penalty box, it feels like he is very much determined to score a goal, which I know sounds kind of simplistic, but a lot of strikers maybe don't have that. And then, as I say, of course, there's a scoring record. Uh, He's got 13 Turkish Super League goals this season, including eight in his last six games. And in that sort of form, I don't think you can really ignore him at the moment so i am looking forward to to seeing what what he does with the game time if he gets game time if he's in the camp you would assume he's going to get an opportunity to play and uh, yeah as i say i'm excited to see that with malik tillman and i want
1: to come back to haji right in a little bit but i want to start with malik tillman uh we're talking about a 19 year old who's a dual national he's played for the us u15s but then since then has basically only played for germany at youth levels joe it, like, we've been in a, this situation sort of before when it came to Julian Green. If we had Malik Tillman come in and maybe he plays both those friendlies and he gets a goal against Morocco and a goal against Uruguay, are you comfortable... Like, would you be okay if Burhalter basically said, like, okay, he's scoring goals, he fits our system exactly, he's what we've been missing, it's worth guaranteeing him a spot on the World Cup roster to sort of jump from Germany and, and officially declare to play for the United States. Like, is that the downside of experimenting this late in the game is that a striker who catches a good run of form for a couple games can really push himself up there like we saw with Ricardo Pepe, but then you don't know what's going to happen next. So like how comfortable would you be with Malik Tillman coming in starting games and potentially being that number nine?
2: If he looks good, I'm super comfortable with it. That's <laughs> that's the, the yeah. question, right? I don't have any issue with Baraltar continuing to experiment and whether or not that experiment involves Malik Tillman doesn't really matter a whole lot to me. But if Tillman or someone else comes in and starts banging in goals and and maybe even beyond that is doing the sustainable, good forward kind of stuff, they're moving off the ball well, they're getting into the box, they're arriving at the right time, they're getting good shooting opportunities. Even if the ball's not always going into the back of the net, if they're doing those repeatable actions that good goal scorers do, I'm great with someone like that getting more looks, and, and maybe that's Malik Tillman, and if he comes in and dominates in this June window, or, or maybe maybe doesn't dominate, that's probably too high of a bar for any nine in this pool. If he comes in and looks good or, or competent and shows a lot of nice things, I would have no issue with him being involved again in September and going to the World Cup. Do I think that's particularly likely? No, not, not really, but honestly, at this point, who knows? It could be Tillman, it could be Wright, it could be Vasquez, it could be... It could be Josh Sargent coming back from the English grave that he's found himself in in Norwich. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't curious about Toman. Berlter obviously sees something, and if this is a way to get a competent nine into this group and to also secure a dual national and get him involved and excited about being in this U.S. group, it's kind of a win-win.
1: Graham, part of the reason, as I've said previously, why I love having you on this show is so when Joe and I start to get overly anxious about like who might be the center back depth, you can kind of slap us on the head and remind us that we've qualified for the World Cup and things aren't that bleak. Is the number nine spot a similar thing where are we is there a chance that like there is just a player like Jesus Ferreira, just put him in there and it'll be okay enough. Or is this actually an issue to your mind?
3: No, I, I kinda lean more to the former. Obviously it is interesting because number nine is um well I mean every position is yeah. important, but the number nine is the spearhead of any football team, so it's 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 interesting to discuss who's gonna play there for the US MT at the World Cup. But I do think the US has options and pretty pretty good options. I mean, if Here Ferreira starts those three group games at the World Cup, I, I don't think that's much of a problem. I think he's he's proved that he can do a good job. I also think the the wide forwards that the US have as well are good enough that they can maybe if his Freer isn't scoring many goals, I think Pulisic if he's in form and, and Tim Weir or if it's Gio Reyna on that right side, I think those players are good enough that as a unit that front three is strong. Um, so I, I personally. Um, think that the centre-back issue right now has become the biggest the the most pressing issue for the US that's the one in this camp I think Berhalter needs to find a solution for that because that feels very important. It's the the basis of a team, particularly at a major tournament where it feels like international teams or at least the good international teams have solid defences and the US had that with Robinson and Zimmerman. I think that's the most pressing issue right now is is resolving that. With the number nine, I know I'm slightly contradicting myself because I previously said September is too late to experiment. As long as you're not bringing in someone completely fresh, I don't think you would bring in Tillman for the September window. But if Berhalter is is still chopping and changing with Peacock and Pepe, if he's back in the roster or Ferreira in in that window, I don't think that's much of an an issue because I think all of those players kind of have their own their own qualities and bring something different to to the table. So I'm, I don't think I'm as concerned by. It. Obviously, it would be brilliant if the US had a Lewandowski or a Benzema or a but they don't, and I still think they actually have a pretty strong attack.
1: Graham, like, what would be uh this is another one that may end up being a very obvious question uh and i'm going to say up front that the answer is probably just yes yeah, scoring goals now here's the question uh like i i i do wonder if some of the number 9 issue is that Berhalter is asking a lot of that role and that they're being asked to do different things at different times and it can be a lot to process a lot to keep in your head but what is the thing that you like if if there were somebody who came in and just, like, did cement their that spot as being theirs. They basically stick their claim, backed it up, and they did kind of rise to that occasion, became that number nine. W- what is the thing that they're doing best? Because I wonder if, like, we have a person who comes in and, like, yeah, he scored a goal, but he didn't really link up play really well. This guy linked up play really well, and everybody else scored, but he didn't get any shots off. Like, I I, I do kind of feel a little bit confused because we've seen so many different players play that position, all of them successfully at times, unsuccessfully at others, I don't quite know what would be the obvious thing that would make me happy. And I feel like the answer is just, yeah, if he scores goals, it's, whatever, yeah. get him in there.
3: Yeah, as a goal scorer, isn't it? If someone if someone who scores consistent goals, I mean, if if a, if a striker if had you right in this window, how many games are there? Four games, two friendlies and, and two Nations League games. I think it's unlikely he's going to start all the, all four of those games, but let's just say for argument's sake he does and he scores in all four games, And all of a sudden he becomes pretty much a lock for for the World Cup, assuming he continges his form and uh, at club level and remains fit. So yes, it's, it's goals. I know that's a very simplistic answer. I think everyone wants Karim Benzema as a centre forward, someone who not just sco- not only scores goals but links up play and things co- are conducted through him, and it feels like Berhalter is is. Maybe that 's the player he 's looking for, not Benzema, but someone who is not just there to penalty box poach and finish chances in the six yard box because I feel like the u s maybe have some good options to to do that Jordan P I would even put forward Christian Mirez is a pretty good poacher. it seems like he 's heading back to, to MLS this summer from Aberdeen in scotland the u s have good options there it 's just they don 't have that all rounder who, as you say Burhalter does demand a lot of of that number nine. Jesus Ferreira is good at some stuff, not so good at other things. Uh, P. Fox good at some stuff, not so good at other things. So, But as I say, it feels like when you take that attack as a unit and you look at the balance of all the players together, which I guess is the most important thing when you're looking at a team, I, I still see a, a strong unit for the US and not too much to be concerned about. I want to try to add a little bit more context to that question
1: <laughs> before it comes away as, Graham, do you think it's important for number 9s to score goals? Uh, I, I think... What, what I'm struggling with is the idea that like it's been so long since we had a person who just was that goal scorer, who was that number nine. I would go back to like, I, maybe like before Josh Sargent even got his first call up is when it felt like, oh, it's going to be Josh Sargent. We know that for sure. And it's just been such an area of uncertainty for so long that at this point I have a hard time imagining anybody being able to come in and just being like, wow, they did everything they needed to do. That's the guy. It seems like we're going to have to have. A bit of a trade-off somewhere and maybe that is yep. if it's haji right a person who can facilitate play isn't maybe quite as technical doesn't have that elite speed but as proven he can score poacher goals and can score lasers from 30 yards out and that's enough score score the goals uh link up play as best you can you don't have to be that el- kind of elite speed in behind do a couple of those things really well and that will make you stand out rather than doing a bunch of things okay can I
3: settle some nerves, I think, regarding this, this issue and the World Cup? If you go through the, how many teams at the World Cup? 32. That's right, isn't it? Yep. If you go through those 32 teams at the World Cup, I think you could probably count on maybe yeah. five to 10 teams. You count it on two hands, but not, not, certainly not any more than two hands. You could count on two hands the number of teams that have a reliable goal scoring number nine that is an absolute lock of that position and there's absolutely no concerns about. Those players are very, very rare and hard to come by. And it certainly seems like they're hard to come by at international level. And if you can find that player, then yes, it elevates your level a lot. But I don't feel like the U.S. are going to... I mean, if the U.S. come up against Scotland, I quite like Jay Adams as our number nine, but he's not Robert Lewandowski. He's not hitting 20 goals a season for Southampton. So we don't have that player. And I think you'll find many other countries don't have that player.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would assume that it would be Lyndon Dykes for you all, right? That's the proven number nine that you're feeling confident (laughs) with?
3: I like Lyndon Dykes, but again, not a twenty-goal a season striker. No? Uh, I mean, large part of the reason I like him is he's he's Australian, uh, and Australians <laughs> are good fun. There you but, go. But yeah, che, che Adams actually would be pretty good for the USMNT. I've thought this before. Like, he is a decent goal scorer at Premier League level and links up the rest of play. Um, but as I say, he's he's not a twenty-goal a season striker.
2: Graham, quick question: What if I only have two fingers on each hand? How does that impact the the number nine <laughs> World Cup hand exercise?
3: <laughs> Um, that's going to be difficult, yeah. Okay. You, you might need to borrow some other hands. You know, do. If, if you're giving Gio Reina a hamstring, he might give you a hand back. That's
2: true. He doesn't need them. He, exactly. he doesn't play
3: American football. He just plays the, the
2: actual football. I'm with it, Graham.
1: <laughs> uh, man, it is crazy how few like out-and-out out number nines there are and how many of them seem to play for France at the same time. France to <laughs> have an OK World Cup, I would assume, which means they're probably going to crash out in the group stage. Uh, Joe, Graham saying that he feels comfortable... In the rest of the attack, even if the number nine issue remains a little bit of an issue, are are you feeling that same level of confidence or do you have some concerns about the USA's attack in general?
2: I'm confident about the individuals on the wings, because I think that's that's the only real piece left. And I guess you add in the fullbacks and some of the contributions from the eights. But really thinking about the wingers. I'm confident in those players. If everybody's healthy, and that's a big if at this point, but if Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson and Tim Weah and even Paul Ariola and maybe Jordan Morris, whoever's in that group, I'm confident in those those players' ability to go to work and, and press and be aggressive and drive the ball downfield and create some chances on their own. I am not all that confident yet about this team's ability to attack as a unit. And this is connected to the nine. It's connected to the midfield conversation. This is sort of an all-encompassing Concern, because you attack as a team. That's how soccer works. The U.S. generated the most XG of, of any team in World Cup qualifying, which is great. They were on top of that list. They were the best team by the underlying numbers in World Cup qualifying. Wait, that just th- to be clear, is that in CONCACAF World Cup in qualifying? World in okay, CONCACAF cool. yes. <laughs> like World Cup qualifying, yes. <laughs> in all World Cup qualifying? Very all good right, clarification, Taylor. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, that was very clutch of you. Yeah, you saved some tweets there. Thank you. Most in CONCACAF, which is great. They, they were, by the numbers, the best team in CONCACAF in during World Cup qualifying. But for, the, for those of us that watched a bunch of those games and watched them again and again, Taylor, you and I saw this, and Graham, I'm sure from from what you watched, you saw this too. The U.S. struggled for stretches of qualifying, and they struggled too often, for my liking, with the talent advantage that they have. Think back to the Canada home game in Nashville, where they, they really struggled to break through that block. Think back to uh, a number of the the road games in CONCACAF, and I know those are difficult, but still, the U.S. didn't perform up to their level and up to the level of talent that they have So I want to see in June and certainly in September as the World Cup gets closer and closer, I want to see more from this group. I want to see the best players on the field together. And I don't know if that's going to be possible. It doesn't sound like Gio Reyna is going to be involved. And that sucks for this team because he, I think, is their best player just straight up. But I want to see whoever's involved get reps together, get the best players on the field. Yeah, experiment some too. But these guys need reps. And so that's, that's a question mark for me is how much are these players, the, the top guys going to play together? And will we see a more cohesive attack in, in this June window? And certainly as we
3: look forward to September as well. It, it is strange to me that we haven't seen more cohesion from this U.S. attacking group because sometimes you look at an attack and sorry, Taylor, to pick on your team, but Manchester United, you look at their attack right now and you can, you can kind of go, okay, I, I can see why that's, Maybe not working so great at the moment. There doesn't seem to be the the balance there. But th- when you look at the US roster and the Graham, attacking options say, that they have, s- sorry to keep interrupting everybody. I just have to
1: believe that somebody at Man United ears perked up. Like, wait, what? There's solutions? What are you talking <laughs> about? How do you solve these things? <laughs> we can fix this. <laughs> uh, no, we're gonna write eight more guys that won't fit the system. Yeah. That should solve it. That should solve it. Yeah, anyway. we need
3: another forward who's not going to press, uh, hey. and then we'll play a pressing style. Anyway, I'm yeah, when you I'm look crying. at the us and T options, I actually do see some some good balance. That Tim Weah, I like him on the right side for the way that he stretches the pitch and provides some verticality but then on the left side when when Pulisic is starting there you have Pulisic kind of cutting inside creating space for Anthony Robinson on the overlap you have Ferreira uh, Dropping deep to create the space for Pulisic and where to spin in behind. So, in terms of the balance of that group, I think that's what I meant when I when I say I'm not too concerned about the, that attacking unit because I see strength in players in other areas and potential balance as well and cohesion in that attack. But Joe, you're absolutely right in some of the performances that they have put up in qualifying. It it, it didn't quite click, and I think that might be a slight concern.
1: And a, a lot of it, in my mind, also has to do with injuries because it feels like we just aren't keeping people on the pitch at the same time and yeah Joe to your point we're we're probably not going to have Gio Reyna again or I'd be shocked if we did but that's a player we haven't had since what September and then you have Timothy Weah gets injured Christian Pulisic has injuries and then doesn't get as many reps with Chelsea and I think I think in certain games is maybe trying to prove too much and maybe this is good preparation for the World Cup when there are going to be injuries and you have to kind of figure things out on the fly but it's it's the position group that I have sort of the most confidence in because there's so much talent and depth there and just proven established veterans that even if it comes down to it, like Paul Arriola has proven that he can play there for the United States and knows what Berhalter wants of him. But ahead of him, I think we've got Aronson, there's Weah, there's Pulisic, there's Reina, and there's other uh, potential names in there too. It, it's just to get everybody playing together in meaningful minutes that allow you to kind of keep building that chemistry and consistency. That's just been such... Uh, not a problem. It just hasn't happened so far. And, and a few games, I think a few more reps together, I have to believe that makes that attack just a bit more fluid. It it connects them more. They understand each other a little bit more. Their communication is better. They know how they play. They know where the runs are going to be. And that would be my hope is that with uh, a, a few more reps and a little bit of better health, uh, we get a better attacking output overall.
2: Yeah. that That's my hope too, Taylor. And it's challenging. I think you're, you're very wise to point out the injury issues that's a huge part of why this team has looked choppy at times in attack and why it hasn't all come together. It's going to be extremely difficult, but I think important for Baralter to balance getting players reps, like we've talked about getting the key guys reps, whichever of those guys are, are here, balancing that idea with also experimenting because there, there does need to be some experimenting center back. We talked about it, maybe a little bit at left back or at the fullback spots, central midfield as well. I think it's going to be an area where you have to, to tweak things and same with the nine spot. But how do you do that? How do you rotate from, from game to game in this stretch of four matches? How do you balance who's on the field together? Is it a platoon type approach? Is it an incremental rotation? I, I don't know what that looks like. That's a big challenge for Beralta, but I, I think he needs to get it right in June. And, and weirdly, yeah. sorry, real quick, I don't even exactly know what getting it right looks like. I'm not sure any <laughs> of us do, but maybe Beralta does. It's a big maybe, though.
3: Yeah and that's the underlying question ahead of this this upcoming camp right is is how much experimentation is too much experimentation you you and i think this is particularly a pertinent point with Berhalter who's who's made such an effort to create the the right environment there have been some selection decisions he's made that haven't been based exactly on individual quality of a player but instead on how they will fit into the locker room and into the structure of the team so he clearly values that stuff so at this point, when you're, what is it, five, six months out from the World Cup, do you want to be messing with that, that formula too much? But equally, you want to, as I said to you, Taylor, um, a, week, a little while ago, you want to game out some scenarios so that you're not short of any options when you get to the World Cup, so that if something happens in the World Cup, you aren't left high and dry without a plan B. You want to create some of that depth as well to your, to your tactical structure. So it's a difficult balancing act. And I think the the only correct answer and the only right way to do it is not to veer too much in either direction. So don't, don't just play the team that you know is going to work for certain, but equally don't just put a team on the pitch that isn't really (laughs) selected with any scenario in mind. And everyone's looking around at each other going, what is, what is this proving? And what is this testing ahead of the World Cup? So you need, you still need that, that structure, I think. Don't be Bielsa
1: at Leeds and play the same players and kind of run them into the ground, but also don't be Manchester United and just throw stuff at a wall and see what's Exactly. Try to find the balance, maybe, would be good. Then, final question for you both, or final couple questions. If we are okay with a little bit of experimentation, I agree with Graham. I don't think we want to have an entirely new starting eleven and see what happens, because then you're not getting a realistic depiction of that team. If you want to see who can deputize for Tyler Adams, you've got to have... Roughly that first choice team there and then a replacement for Tyler Adams and see what works. And I don't think we have the luxury of trying that at every single position. It seems like the three spots that we're most okay with seeing a little bit of experimentation would be at number nine would be at center back in in place of Miles Robinson, and then potentially at goalkeeper. So I will ask you both. Who would you like to see? Not who do you think we will see, but who would you most like to see start in each of those positions, injuries permitting against Morocco and Uruguay, those first two friendlies? Uh, Joe, I will come to you first, unless you would like me to answer and buy you some time.
2: No, no, you're good. So give me one position at a time just so I don't forget right. them because I will. Let's start with goalkeeper. I'd like to see Matt Turner get a real run. I don't have a strong desire to see anybody else. Maybe Ethan Horvath, Gagas Lanina could be in there. I'm not as much on the Stephen Fry train as everybody else is, but it's Matt Turner for me. All right, so Joe got that one wrong. Graham, what about you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, this is where I have to balance my curiosity and the fact that I don't really have a horse in this race. So I kind of want to see Stefan Fry just because I think it'd be interesting and give us something to talk about. But maybe the right answer is Matt Turner, and as Joe says, you just give him a run of games, given that he's already been – there's less of a risk with him, I think. So I'm going – despite the fact I really want to say Fry, I'm going to say Turner.
1: Mm. Uh, That was negative one point to Joe for saying Matt (laughs) Turner. That was negative two points to Graham for correctly reasoning it and then still choosing Matt Turner, even though that is – Probably the correct answer. Joe, let's go to center back. Uh, who would you like to see starting at center back? We would assume alongside Walker Zimmerman.
2: I'd like to see Richards get a game. Graham, I think you're you're totally right that he is probably the best of the center back options. I mean, I'm still really high on him as a player. He's he's the best of the Robinson replacements. Different, but I, I think the best overall. I'd like to see Richards get a game or two, and I'd like to see CCV get at least one game. And then maybe we'll see how those, those games have gone before Beralta decides what that fourth lineup is going to look like. Graham, for you.
3: Yeah, I'm going to let curiosity get the better of I me, and this one has to be CCV. I've I've spoken too much about it this year for me not to get some proper evidence on how it would work. So yes, please CCV and the team. CCV at right back, Tim Ream at sorry, right center back, Tim Ream at, at left center back. There
1: we
2: go. That, that's what is I that want. Is that four words or eight will. words or how many? How many <laughs> words is that? It's
1: been it's been a show in which I revealed uh, that I am occasionally not smart. Uh, let's talk number nine before we call it quits. Uh, Joe, who would you most like to see given a start at number nine in those friendlies?
2: Taylor, I said hamstrung good did did did. So if anybody's proved their ignorance on that show, it's not you, it's me. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know about the nine minutes. Had you right, I'd like to get a game. Uh Tillman, if he's playing yeah. well in camp, I wouldn't be mad at getting a game if he truly is involved. Yeah. And and really though, I guess my overall answer, and this is the player that I think I'm the highest on in this spot in general, is Jesus Ferreira. Not somebody we've talked about much, but if someone's gonna be getting the lion's share of the minutes, I would lean towards Ferreira and basically just give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say, you've had some good moments in qualifying, but we also want to get an extended look at you, just like we'd be curious to get an extended look at a whole bunch of these guys. Ferreira, for me, though, just has a slight leg up on some of those other options.
3: Graham? Yeah, I, I agree with you completely on that. I think you give Ferreira a good run. You at least give him two of the four games, I think, starting, and then maybe you give Hadji right one start, and um, I still feel like I want to see a little bit more from Peefock. I know he's he's had opportunities, and I know he hasn't played that well for the USMT before, but equally on the flip side of that, I feel like he hasn't been given a proper chance yet. So I I think maybe Peefock, Wright, and Ferreira would be the three that I would lean towards. I think that you all have have done an excellent job with this one because
1: I really like the idea of... Let's say you give Ferreira like that Morocco game, then maybe you try Haji Wright in a friendly against Uruguay, then Ferreira starts against Granada, uh, Grenada, excuse me, and then the final game at El Salvador, maybe that's where PFOC gets a start, and that's the El Salvador g- game on the road that the U.S. drew nil-nil to open qualifying. We would assume that they will be expansive at times, but defensive at times, and maybe that's where Jordan PFOC can come in and show that Like, he can get the job done when it's required, and maybe that balances it really well. So I like the idea of experimentation uh, at that number nine spot in those four games. But, Joe, I think a thing that you pointed out there was, uh, really quickly, but I think very important, and I'm glad you did, was about camp. And the idea of these guys coming into camp first, Uh, which, again, feels very obvious, but I think so much of what Burhalter is asking of these players is executed or not executed in camp. And he, I think that is the initial bar for so many of these players is when you're brought in, I'm going to put you into a small sided game or an 11 v 11 or whatever it may be. And I'm going to ask you to do certain things. How quickly do you process that information and put it into play? How much are you able to listen to what I'm instruction? I'm giving you on the fly. How much do you respond to your teammates and read the game? And I think so much of these games, Like, these games are important, but so much of it will be about the camp and how players rise to the occasion. And so if we do see Haji Wright getting a start, to me, that means he has shown, at the very least, he has cleared that first hurdle of he showed in camp he can do it. Let's see what he does in an actual game. If we don't see any of them, but they're all called into camp, I think we have... Equally an answer about where they fit into into the system. And if it is Jesus Ferreira starting all four games, then again, I think we've got some answers coming out of that one. So ultimately, it seems like these friendlies and those Nations League games will go a long way towards giving us even more clarity about a team. On which we already have a decent amount of clarity. So I started off anxious. I'm feeling more confident at the end of this show. And that is always a positive and not just convenient because it is time to end this episode. <laughs> uh, anything else to add, Graham Ruthven, uh, overall about the U.S. or any
3: specific positions or anything else? I just think it's really interesting how much emphasis is put on the camp environment with the U.S. because I, do- I don't see that really in other yeah. National teams certainly ones that I follow. It's, it's certainly not the case with Scotland. I mean, our players barely talk to each other, not because they don't like each other, but because we're Scottish. Um, and yeah, it's just a strange. It's, it's not strange. It's actually a good thing, but yeah. it's it's a unique thing about the the u s m t that I find it, interesting. It's, it's one of my favorite things
1: because I've heard I've heard players who have been in the camps who are just like US internationals talk about it. But I've also heard, also heard dual nationals talk about how much more fun and welcoming. It is how like there are, I think, national teams where you have such high-profile players that there is that, like, I'm coming in to do that job, and then I've got to go meet this branding opportunity and this marketing thing, and then I'm back to my club team who didn't want me to leave in the first place. And by all accounts, the U.S. is just a bit more of a fun atmosphere than you get elsewhere, and I think that goes a long way towards convincing some dual nationals that, like, if I'm going to spend a bunch of time with a bunch of guys, maybe it's going to be the one where we're having cookouts and listening to music after games. <laughs> uh, so
2: I think that's where I I really value No buffalo and, sauce. No, no. buffalo <laughs> sauce. That's right. Gra- if you're using buffalo sauce at a cookout, you are doing it so wrong.
1: <laughs> Joe, I – I don't even know what to say to you because you can grill chicken <laughs> wings and you can put buffalo sauce on those chicken wings. And then, Joe, I would say that you have something delicious cooking up instead of whatever you would
2: prefer. Joe, what do you put? Are you putting barbecue sauce? Yeah, or are you man. just putting barbecue sauce, dry rub, dry rub. is. F- do you not wait? Okay. Hold up. Sorry. Okay. Do you not like barbecue sauce? Because that's the second passive aggressive barbecue sauce comment I heard you make. <laughs>
1: No, it's just an easy way to disparage your taste by making fun of you as though um, you only eat like, like sugary you live. You live in Virginia, fructose. Taylor. I guess you guys do yeah. the
2: do you do the vinegary kind of down no, south. No, we do sauce? tomato. I prefer the vinegary. Oh. well, okay, it's it's fine. Vinegary is fine, but
3: yeah, I'm I'm genuinely having chicken wings for my dinner tonight, and normally I wouldn't. I like buffalo sauce, but normally buffalo sauce wouldn't be my go to. But I'm going to order buffalo <laughs> sauce on my wings, just to. I'm gonna send you a picture of them. Do it. You won't just spite me. Do it. <laughs> Here's here's
1: where I think we can all agree, I hope. Uh tomato like sauce like as the base sauce for barbecue sauce is fine. Yeah. Vinegar as the base sauce fine dry rub also works mustard is ridiculous get out of here south carolina i don't know what you're doing yeah that is uh my overall takeaway on barbecue sauces south carolina i look forward to your letters joe lowry i look forward to talking (laughs) to you again this week about the soccers and next week about the u.s uh men's
2: national team but you're going to be talking uh women's soccer later this week oh yeah that's right ariana cascone who writes for backfield which taylor you were kind enough to mention earlier on in this show she she and i are going to be on the show Uh, it'll be out on thursday we're talking challenge cup which wrapped up over the weekend we're going to be talking the, the early stages of the nwsl regular season as well there'll be some USWNT kinds of questions in there about how those players who are on the u.s roster are, are faring in nwsl we'll talk about teams that are impressing expansion teams all that good stuff will be out on thursday
1: uh, so that'll be thursday Graham, lister questions wednesday are you prepared for whatever uh random nonsense ryan bailey has found for us I mean, I'm never prepared, but I will try and handle it best I can. <laughs> uh, I always look forward to the the weekly segment, the Graham bonus questions. So I'm good. not going to say if, what it is if we have one, but I'm going to try to open the document really quickly and see if we do. Unless either of you knows for sure that we do. I don't. We I don't have, know
2: if there's Graham bonus content. There is Joe bonus content, and yeah. in general, TSS hybrid TV bonus content, which I'm so excited for, guys. I read through the the doc earlier today, and it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I can't wait oh boy all right yeah we're gonna
1: come back with some sauces i'm excited for that one uh but until then joe lowry thank you so much for being here today thank you taylor graham Ruffin, thank you for being here as well my friend thank you taylor rockwell and taylor rockwell thank you for being here as well you're welcome <laughs> listeners thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you all again very soon <laughs>